Welcome to Six Degrees of Silvis, a podcast where we talk with artists, art collectors, advisors, museum directors, and curators to learn firsthand how the art world operates and how each participant uniquely addresses vital issues of our time. This week, John talks with art collector Alain Survey. I started collecting with the hope and intention of um, recreating the pleasure and the contemplation I, I was feeling when I was visiting museums. Um, so that's why the first medium I collected was photography because I've never been uh, reluctant to um, editioning of the works. And I was able to buy the Nan Goldin or the Andrew Serrano. So it's important to remember that the, the benchmark I'm, I'm measuring me against is, uh, is museum, the museum quality um, in some way. And then I was fascinated by the fact that something was strange because when I go to art fairs, I see 80 to 90% of paintings. And when I go to museums or biennials, I see zero to 10% painting. Here's the host of the show, John Silvis. I am your host, John Silvis. I'm an art advisor and a curator based in New York. Most of my research I share with my friends and my clients to focus on global contemporary art, usually with emerging and mid-career artists. With this podcast, I hope to pull back the curtain to uh, allow us to engage with some of the conversations that happen in the art world and encourage and push the art conversation forward. Please join me in welcoming these wonderful guests. Thank you for joining our conversation today. I'm really pleased to introduce Alain Survey, who is a major collector of contemporary art based in Brussels. He is a self-proclaimed collector of difficult works, and he originally came from the financial sector where he worked as an investment banker. He tries to apply these market principles to observe future trends within the creative realm. He believes that art has the capacity to change society for the better and his collection is a reflection of a global interest in art and he also supports innovative art projects around the world. He is a regular attender of the Biennale circuit and is a key figure in analyzing systems within the art industry. So we're really pleased to have you join us today. So uh, good afternoon. I'm so thrilled today to be joined by Alain Survey from Brussels. Uh, it's good to see you, Alain. Uh, looks like you're doing Good to well. see you, John. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's been a, a really interesting time uh, in the art world. We recently had this uh, online auction that Christie's did on, on three different continents, which was interesting. So a lot of things are changing. But I wanted to uh, start by asking you a little bit about your collection. When I had the privilege to uh, see some of your works and um, also see the, the great studio space that you set up, um, I was struck by what a range of collection you have. You have a lot of uh, blue chip work, but then you have emerging artists. You've also been collecting things internationally um, from Asia, all over the world, Africa. Um, one of the distinctives of your collecting is that you don't collect painting. 
And so I was curious if you could give us a little bit of insight into, you know, how that came about, or was that something from the beginning that you were concerned with? It was um, something from the beginning. Um, I started collecting with the hope and intention of um, recreating the pleasure and the contemplation I, I was feeling when I was visiting museums. Um, so that's why the first medium I collected was photography because I've never been uh, reluctant to um, editioning of the works and I was able to buy the Nan Goldin or the Andrew Serrano or Shujimoto that I saw in the museum, in fact. Um, so it's important to remember that um, I'm, the, the benchmark I'm, I'm measuring me against is, uh, is museum, the museum quality um, in some way. Mm -hmm. And then I was fascinated by the fact that um, something was strange because when I go to art fairs, I see 80 to 90% of paintings. And when I go to museums or biennials, I see zero to 10% painting. Mm. So it um, struck my mind. It was even worse, much, much different um, a few years ago because there in art fairs uh, many years ago, there was not that many paintings um, 20 years ago, uh, for sure. So I realized that there are two elements of, um, of art. There is the art markets and there's the art history. Mm. Um, the art market is a market, which is um, a marketplace where offer and demands are meeting. The thing is that um, the demands is driven by, by people with money. I would say maybe, let's say, 100,000 art buyers uh, in the world in front of maybe 40 million artists uh, in many ways. So as you realize, the, the imbalance between um, demand and offer is pretty large. And so in the art market, the demand is very largely today um, uh, commended by, um, by, that, uh, by the buyers. And for a reason that I never explained myself, uh, any trace of painting on a canvas was always considered as art. When uh, the work that you have behind you, the, the, the panel of, um, of Barbara Kruger, yeah. uh, Barbara Kruger had to justify that it was art and not advertising in many ways. So um, I, I realized that dichotomy um, and the fact that, in my opinion, why um, the majority of art buyers were, were buying paintings is um, for a, a reason which is quite conservative. Um, they, it's the way they see the aesthetic, their connoisseurship is uh, pretty limited, and they don't like to be disturbed. I realized when going to museums and the pleasure I had in art uh, since the beginning was my pleasure was to be disturbed, mm. to, be, to be taken out of my comfort zone. Um, in some way, in a more uh, philosophical way, it's, um, it's the element that would allow me to exit uh, Plato's cave. If you remember the myth um, of, uh, of the Plato's cave where, where the man is, is chained at the bottom of a cave and has as a, as a goal in life to try to uh, achieve and um, reach um, the, real, the real nature of things by exiting the cave where he's chained. For me, art is a way of, um, of exiting that, those certainties that we have. Um, uh, and uh, I realized that it was not in painting that it would be achieved because 
it was more the result of a demand by the market um, and not uh, something that um, I think would stay in artistry. And I've, I'm pretty convinced and I'm still challenging a lot of curators or art advisors or galleries to, to point to me any painter that would have any chance to be uh, in artistry books, except of course, um, there, of course there are some exceptions um, that I cannot, cannot afford anymore with uh, Kerry James Marshall, for example, but I'd love to have one. I had a few in my hands during my life, um, but I, I never triggered and so on. So yes, I decided to, um, in order to preserve, uh, because I think the, the goal of a, of a collector and the, the social um, function of a collector is to preserve works of art for the future generation. Mm -hmm. So I realized that it was more interesting for me to preserve works that few people were looking at, which were non-painting. Mm -hmm. And that's why uh, the collection is um, rich of a few hundred works, <clears throat> um, but um, very few or no painting. Right. Does it make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, no, that, that's great. I mean, painting is uh, more user friendly, I guess, for many collectors and um, you're kind of taking on a more challenging role by collecting installation and sculpture. So yeah, video, video, digital art, there's, there's a lot of medium because people think about sculptures only or installation. There is video, there's photography. Uh, if you, today, you know, it's not so many people consider photography as a as an artwork um which is wrong because 10 years ago it was very fashionable but it's changing and and so on so yes um there's quite a few medium mm -hmm. so uh during this uh last five months or so as uh you know the world has been struggling with this pandemic um and people are traveling less uh, how how has that impacted you as an international collector, because we've met often um, out on the road at uh, different fairs or biennials. Um, mm -hmm. How has it uh, personally um, changed your interaction with art and then also with collecting? Because, I mean, as we all know, the art world is so relational and, you know, there's a lot of excitement in seeing the work in the field, so to speak. Yeah. Um... As I described earlier, um, art for me is about getting myself out of the, the cave where I'm chained. Mm -hmm. One way of doing that is, of course, to ex expose oneself to other culture and civilization. Um, that's why, for me, traveling is an essential part of, um, of this. It's also something that's, um, you know, my background is investment banker. Um, and for better or worse, um, the convergence between investment banker and art collector is not especially money, which would be the most obvious um, description of it. Um, but it's also um, curiosity and need of understanding the humanity. And in um, the um, finance world, we we realizing for a long time that um, um, the center of the world is not um, the West world anymore, whether London or New York even, um, or, or the, cent the central West, um, Western uh, cities. So um, very, very early, I was, I was aware that um, there was a great culture and great um, uh, strength in the other parts of the world. So it was natural for me to go to those places and the traveling is not so much social um, as, um, as really like, like a exploratory. 
Uh, it's about discovering another art scene, another ecosystem, another environment. Um, and it's, it's in line with, uh, with the, uh, the objective also that's um, very strangely, and we've seen it, I, I, the best example is, of course, Ulitzik in China. Um, Ulitzik was just a foreigner in China, and he realized that there was incredible quality in what was created in China. But very few of the Chinese were seeing it because they were too close to the, to the window, mm -hmm. and maybe they didn't have the means to collect it. Um, and so it's strange, but it was a, a foreigner that was maybe a little bit, um, yeah, had the most sophisticated and long-term view about um, this disruptive art that existed that said, I need to preserve this. Um, and it's happened quite often that sometimes a, a foreign um, eyes are helping to, um, to distinguish what is um, important to preserve um, in such or such uh, ecosystem. So traveling has been always very important. Of course, the last five months, it has been um, stopped and suspended. Um, but because my schedule is so high, um, in, um, in 2020, still, I managed to go to Mumbai in January, to Mexico in February, to New York in March, to Madrid in February. Um, so in just um, two and a half months, three months, um, I had already four long, long haul trips. So it kind of gave me a reserve of, um, of energy. And I, as soon as the, the borders were reopened, uh, I went to Paris for the Paris Gallery weekend, of course, much closer, but to Madrid as well, seeing galleries, uh, going back to the, to the Prado, seeing amazing um, exhibitions of, um, of the masterpiece there. So yes, I'm traveling and I, I will travel as much as I can um, safely in the next, um, in the next few, uh, few months. For the rest, it has been um, going back to my notes and um, going back to work that were staying in my mind um, that I didn't uh, trigger at the time. And yes, eventually um, we, we increased um, the number of works in the collection by someone like 10 works, 10 important works in the last, um, in those um, uh, COVID uh, times. Right, and those were things that you had been thinking about for a while or had been eyeing for a while. Yes, that I knew. First, first was the one I knew and that I missed and I, I didn't take the time to look at properly or to research because as you know, of course, if you go to an art fair, the things are available there and now. Um, but art fairs are the, the last place where I would be um, art hunting. So sometimes you see it in an exhibition in uh, somewhere far away, uh, whether it's Mumbai or something else, and then you need to go back, do more research, um, uh, and it's not always easy, so it takes more time. And so, yes, we had more time to do this. And yes, and also I acquired uh, works by, by a duo of, um, of um, French artists that are showing in the, their name is Brugnon and Roland. Uh, I saw the show in Paris um, 10 days ago. It was an astonish, astonishing show um, at the MacVal, close to Paris. And um, after, I, I had them in the eye already, but there it was convincing me. And I was not the only one because I heard that um, one of the pieces I, I bought was um, also, uh, has also been bought by Bob Rennie in Vancouver. So you see, um, it's always a good sign that um, uh, I can join um, brilliant collectors like uh, Bob Rainey. So I was also curious, uh, you were mentioned doing a lot of research. Are, do you have uh, people that help you or people on the ground that 
that sort of are a support for you or because I know you have so much information available to you and no it's it's a challenge um, my background as an investment banker you know a few years ago when my kids were in their 10th and they're saying, Daddy, what are you doing? You're in your office all day long in front of a computer. You speak to people on the phone. But what is it that you're producing? I mean, I'm paying, paying, people paying you for, for doing that? And then I realized I had to explain them that, in fact, my job was um, absorbing massive amount of information and spitting, spitting them up in um, investment decision. Uh, my output was investment decision. Um, and so I'm pretty used to absorbing uh, insane amount of information. So yes, in the art world there there is, but um, it's important to curate um, to to decide you, and then you identified the proper sources, the proper writers, um, where to look, uh, the proper intermediaries, the proper galleries, the proper biennials that you want to visit, where you discover uh, many things. And yes, I can give a list of. Um, of the major biennials that are, I'm definitely never missing. Uh, and sometimes they are not obvious. My favorite uh, biennials is the Kochi Biennial in India. Mm. India is a massive um, continent, uh, but with a very difficult commercial market, which is very conservative, extremely conservative. But they have amazing artists, and they appear only once every two years at the Kochi Biennial, which is artist run in some way and always artist uh, curated. And it's a fantastic uh, place to discover art. Uh, but there's also the biennials in Korea, um, Guangzhou Biennial, um, uh, Lyon Biennial is also a good place to discover art and so on. So it's about uh, curating what you're looking at, which I need to do in, um, in finance as well. So I've got that training and, and no, I have no, no help except uh, people that I trust and I, I will uh, look at the direction they're indicating me. Um, you're one of them. I remember we met in, in Hong Kong and it's always um, good to listen to your uh, recommendations and recommendation of people like you of where to go and what exhibition to see. Hmm. How has your criteria changed over the years of collecting out? Um, have you seen like some distinct sort of uh, changes or maybe you have a, a, a much more sort of defined value system? Um, yeah, I would say it's, um, yeah, for, of course, uh, a collection, as I said, and I, 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 try, I take as a model the collection of someone like uh, Willy Zick, for example, um, who's admitting that he's not always collecting what he likes, but he collects what he considers um, a significance. Mm -hmm. And it's, a, it's the case for me a little bit. Um, it's not always that I will always love the work, but it's um, always that I will re um, recognize that this work is significant. I think that work of significance and worth preserving is, is a key, key word. And when I'm looking at the works above $5,000, because under that you can you know, buy a, a goodie in some way. Yeah. If, you, if I look at works above $5,000, I always ask myself a question, um, do I stand a chance that someone will want to look at it in 30 years time? Mm. And, and it contains a lot of um, to consider because then you, re you consider what makes a works relevant for the next 30 years, not the next 30 years, but in 30 years, because very often it will be going through a dark period, dark age when nobody will consider it. 
yeah. and then suddenly it will come back up, um, maybe, or maybe it will stay um, in the um, eyesight, but maybe not. So what makes it relevant? Um, and one of the criteria that I, I knew already from the beginning of my collecting, but I, I is even stronger today, is some connection to um, social, economical, psychological development in the larger society. Um, art is nothing else than um, a language um, translating the world surrounding us. Uh, art is nothing else than opening a door in the world that we think we know and that could have some doors that we don't consider. Um, so, and again, from my investment banker background, I'm, I've got quite a um, thorough knowledge of um, everything going on in the world, um, from the situation in Hong Kong, uh, the Uyghur, um, the situation in Latin America, the United States, of course, very important, but the UK, Belgium, mm -hmm. and so on. So um, you can see some themes that are extremely important um, and that will be in some way in the history books of 2200, when our grand-grand-grand-grand-grandchildren will look back at the year 2000 and they will say, okay, what happened in the year 2000? Uh, what will be in the history books? And then we can see a few themes. Uh, one theme is definitely um, internet and, um, and computer, the way it has transformed our life. We know it, but sometimes we don't realize that you know it because you're probably the same 50 year plus than me. Yeah. Uh, are you above 50 years old? I'm 50. Okay, good. So we still have those memories of, of a life without or, or being kind of a miracle or uh, exceptional to go on a computer and not to talk about uh, our first um, cell phone. So the way it has been transforming us, for sure. Um, the gender. Um, I remember that I saw maybe for the first time two guys kissing when I was in, suddenly in my mid-20s, uh, for sure. So it was something that I was not aware that there were gay people around me. Uh, it was to totally blind of me and ignorance, totally ignorant. But that um, gender element, which started already in the 70s, but grew up in a more general, more generalized way in society than, than being marginalized, what it was, or forbidden, uh, as we've been remembered by um, by that, um, the story of that genius, uh, of the, the deciphering genius, uh, the code, the code breaker genius um, that had to take uh, hormones um, after being discovered gay. Um, so it's it's only sixty years ago. Um, so all this, um, all those elements as well. So what I mean is, it's important to understand the world, identify a theme which is uh, important that is touching you in one way or another, and then it's pretty easy to, to identify artists that are uh, approaching the, that problem in an intelligent way. Um, and intelligent way is one, one thing, but also is able to put it in a kind of a visually interesting music. Because sometimes you've got uh, brilliant artists, uh, very smart, uh, but the way they're translating it uh, visually is a little bit too poor. Uh, I, I, for example, I point to um, that kind of industry of the, the documentary video in some way that would fit better probably a low-cost uh, Netflix than, um, than an arts gallery um, because it's some way it's a documentary and it's very interesting but they are losing that kind of artistic aesthetic 
uh, dream-like um, and sensuality, sensual elements. Mm -hmm. So yes, there are there's some, some key, key element. One key element is really to, to the relevance, the relevance of the, the content of the message, the, um, the, relate, the relation to, um, to, um, to contemporary problems. Uh, that's for me one of the key things. And that's one of my problems, of course, when I go to an art fair, is that I see much too much um, dead art um, uh, conventional, purely decorative, with absolutely no content, mm. and I can be quite a terror uh, for galleries on an art fair because I've got this systematically one single question: is um, what is the artist trying to tell me? Yeah, and uh, it's quite a terrifying question because I can tell you sometimes the answers and the embarrassment of the galleries has been terrible. But for me, no art. But uh, for me. Art, the minimum that art is, it, it, it is a language, a language which opens your hearts to the other, which is a big O, and other can be anything which is not you. So um, if it doesn't match those criteria, um, it's simply not art for me. And all that decorative art, decorative painting, abstract painting, that absolutely horrible painting, which is covering the, the walls of, of New York, for example, or, or Los Angeles, is it's for me simply no art. So what do you see coming out of this time? Because I, I feel like uh, this pandemic has really affected the entire world. And so I think it's different maybe than, than other uh, times, in, in, at least in our lifetime. So uh, do you have any sense of, of sort of what, what's going to come out of this or do, do you see anything happening? Um, about the, the content of art, I don't know. And this question that is asked often to artists, even what do you think, um, how did COVID influence? I don't think we can say much about this um, right now. The economic circumstances of, um, of our society um, and, and the art world, because I repeat again, it's very important to understand that the art world is nothing else than a sub set of the larger society that's too many people when they live in the art world they think it's an entire world but it's nothing that a, a tiny tiny little particle of the of the larger universe uh, which is um, uh, society as, as a whole so um, the changes and the trends what I what I consider is that the, the COVID uh, accelerated a lot of trends um, it accelerated um, that discussion about um, income inequality because COVID only reinforced it and also uh, showed very clearly the, um, the downside of it because, um, you know, six months ago, that income inequality was just showing up in the fact that you were either going, taking the subway in New York or taking a, a Uber or a private car, mm -hmm. but it was still discreet. Now it's about life and death. Um, it depends on how uh, you need to go out for work um, or you can hide yourself in the Hamptons. Um, it's a different story. It's life and death. The same with the future. Uh, we've seen the, um, I, I was reading now that something like only 8% of um, people with, a, with a, um, only um, a school diploma um, uh, were not affected by the COVID uh, when most of the people with college degrees and so on were able to remote work. So that's one thing that is definitely um, uh, changing. It's the same in the art world. Um, 
of course, um, there's been, there will be a kind of, a, we feel more and more that gap, massive gap that there is between the, the collectors that are buying those multi-millions works without difficulty because we've seen that the auctions were quite well supported and, and made uh, very high prices. And you and me know that even in the day sales, uh, there have been very high results. And definitely we know that there is um, still demand at the, at the, high, at the high level. But we know also the disaster that it is for many of the people working in the arts, whether it's art handlers or, or, um, or gallerists or, or staff of members of staff of the gallery or the museums, education staff and so on. And we know the disaster that it is um, for artists and so on. So that, that gap is definitely there as well. Um, in a more par parochial element, there's uh, evolution in the way uh, artists transacted. Um, art fairs are gone for a while mm -hmm. and art fair where the kind of the the buoy the saving buoy of uh, many gallerists um, particularly sometimes in um, in faraway places or showing a difficult program that they could not um, sell to their local audience mm -hmm. and they needed art fairs to get a broader audience um, so sometimes it was negative sometimes it was positive but it's particularly hurting the people that, I don't know, from uh, Southeast Asia, you know it, you're traveling over there and you know that um, they don't have the domestic uh, collecting base in Thailand or Indonesia or, or India or Bangladesh or Dubai to, um, to cover. They needed the international collectors. So it's changing that um, a little bit. And so there's a need to, to reinvent. Um, also, the, the trend that has been developing very much is um, what I consider um, the kind of a, the double smack um, against the mid-sized galleries. I mean, we realize that the art world is an ecosystem where every single um, element, that's certainly one of the, my biggest uh, learning from that period, is really understanding the art world as an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. where everybody's importance from the art schools um, to the artists, to the artist space, which is very often the first place where uh, art will be shown. Um, yeah. Then the galleries, uh, different type of galleries, because only mega galleries don't work. It's like in any sport, if you're on, you have only five major clubs, uh, where do you develop the talents? Um, and so we, we realize the importance of mid-sized galleries and small galleries as well. We realize the importance of collectors, the importance of museums that are giving the first um, um, museum shows, institutional shows to, to we, need, we see also the importance of critic um, and so on. So it's a whole ecosystem. And this ecosystem is, is becoming very um, imbalanced. Mm. It's imbalanced by, by the fact that there's still quite a lot of money at the top, but not many, much money but lower down. And so the top is thriving and in a way is kind of absorbing the, the the juicy part uh, the, of, of the, uh, the rest of the ecosystem, but the, other, the rest of the ecosystem is suffering a lot. So we've, I, I could say by caricaturing that, um, you know, the, the crap, the crap Joe, uh, you have on one side, you have um, the auction houses and the mega galleries, which are still doing um, uh, very good business. On the lower side, you have all those, um, uh, online outlets that are selling you kind of decorative art for a low price like Artsy or uh, Saatchi Online or many, many others that are selling those things in a much more democratic way than the gallery system. And then you have 
in the middle, sometimes you have a lot of art which is looking like the art that you're buying for $2,000, but it's selling for $25,000 because it's shown in a, some art fairs or with a gallery in Chelsea. Yeah. And this is becoming more and more unsustainable. Um, and so there will be a lot of damage uh, at that level. But I don't care about those galleries. I care more about the, the quality galleries uh, that are trying to defend um, difficult arts. Um, uh, in New York or in other other, other uh, part of the world, and are really squeezed between the two. Um, and that, what I'm recommending them is to to work together to create a kind of a, a, a strong sense of um, of belonging. Does it make any sense? Absolutely. I... No, those are great insights. Um, this has been a great uh, conversation. So uh, thanks a lot for your uh, wonderful insights. And thank you for taking hope, the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope that we can have more conversations like this, you know, within this ecosystem and, you know, hear from a lot of different voices. I think, you know, it is giving people time to kind of think about what we're all doing rather than just running around and, you know. No, I think what's important, if you allow me a conclusion, is... Yeah. is Art has never been for me um, an elite luxury goods hunting, mm. which it has become a lot, particularly in the States. Yeah. Um, you know, there's not much difference between chasing the last Birkin bag or the latest um, super fantastic um, uh, um, Ferrari or, or Lamborghini and so on than chasing those, those, um, some of those artists. Um, for me, I repeat, art has got a social and personal function about building bridges to new realities. Um, and we need, to, we need, it's very clear in society that we need to build bridges. Mm -hmm. So yes, I think it's important to, that people think about art not as a luxury good hunt, but as, as something a little bit larger and with more uh, consequence than, um, than what it appears to unfortunately too many people at this stage and that's what i think it's um important to rethink uh, in those troubled times so would you see that as a distinction between like collecting and being a real patron like do you, do you see there sort of a divide yes and no yes uh, i would go even further um in the sense that i stay a collector that means that yes i i need to to go through the acquisition Mm -hmm. um, and it's important in my, in my um, uh, what I'm bringing to the, uh, my contribution to the, to the arts ecosystem. Yeah. I know some collectors, because are, then there are different levels, but I, I know some collectors that are not collecting uh, in the sense that they are giving money. I, I see, for example, a wonderful uh, person like Catherine Petigas, who is... Um, was a patron in some way, because I think that she's contributing to the ecosystem, supporting um, a nonprofit and so on, uh, much more even than she's collecting. Mm. Uh, and you know, you know this kind of, of people that are extremely generous to the ecosystem. I, that's why I call them patrons, because in a way, collecting is subsidiary to their activity as, as patrons, like Agnes Gund, for example, uh, today, or... or, um, or um, uh, uh, Beth Derudi, Beth Woodin Derudi in the in the states, or people like that that are contributing. Patricia Sandretto, who's a collector but also a massive contributor to um, 
to, uh, to the ecosystem exhibition uh, and so on and supporting uh, institutions. I don't do that so much because I don't have the, the, the platform large enough. So I stay a collector. So for me, collector and patrons, for sure, uh, yes, I have a, an artist residency. Yes, I support artists and, and production of works very much. But uh, my main contribution still goes through the acquisition of arts. Uh, so I would say, uh, and the message I want to transmit or share with this collection makes me a collector still. Um, less than all the patrons for whom I've got immense uh, respect and admiration for their generosity. Well, we, we appreciate all you're doing and um, you have an amazing collection. So uh, please come and visit. Yes, it's I, by appointment, you're all welcome. Yes, I hope to do that soon once I can travel again. Please stay uh, safe. Um, yeah, this has been great. Uh, thanks so much, Omar. Thank you, John. Thanks for checking out Six Degrees of Silvis. I'm the editor of the show, Evan Halter. If you'd like to learn more about John or the guests we have on the podcast, please visit johnsilvis.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>